hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm? What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. You've heard me say it a million times, if you're struggling with bladder leakage, bowel leakage, painful intercourse, or pelvic pain, one of the reasons, and in some cases the only reason, is a pelvic floor that isn't working the right way. Your pelvic floor muscles need to contract and relax in a coordinated fashion. So you pee when you want to, don't pee when you don't want to, and eliminate pelvic or sexual pain. And the road to a healthy pelvic floor is to work one-on-one with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Since it's a mystery to most women what a pelvic floor physical therapist actually does, it helps to know what to expect when signing up. Today, I'm joined by Janelle Howell, who holds a doctorate in physical therapy and is board certified in women's health PT. And if you're at all active on Instagram, you will know her as the Vagina Rehab Doctor, where she passionately and in the most entertaining way teaches the world how to love their bodies and unlock their highest levels of vaginal health and happiness. Today, Janelle and I are going to take you behind the closed door of the pelvic floor physical therapist's office so you will know what to expect and what you are likely to experience during a pelvic floor PT session. Welcome, Janelle. I'm so glad to be here. So we have one thing in common that I know immediately, and that's a love of shoes. I'm I'm betting. I went on your website. Everyone has to go on your website. I looked at your picture and I said, oh, my God, I want those shoes. I love those shoes. And um, yeah, so I I don't know. I'm I'm a little embarrassed. You know, I, I haven't given up my heels yet. Us physical therapists can sometimes have some negative things to say about heels, but I do love a good pair of heels. So we do have that in common. (laughs) This is my approach. I no longer wear high heels out in the world, but I call them my TV shoes. So that if I'm posing for a picture or if I'm on a TV set, I put on these sky high shoes that look amazing, but I don't actually have to yeah, walk yeah. in. I love it. Only on special occasions. So special. All right. So, so let's start with this. I'd like to hear a little bit about your training and your background. So people understand what it takes to do what you do. Yeah, so I went to um, college in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, it's Oakwood University. It's a, a, a HBCU, which is a historically black college and university. Mm-hmm. I majored in pre-physical therapy there. So that took me about four years. And then afterwards, I went to the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California, and I did an accelerated doctoral program in physical therapy. All right, so I want to back up a little bit because you knew you wanted to be a physical therapist. And but did you know that you wanted to be a woman's health physical therapist? What drove you to physical therapy in the first place? So I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I actually originally wanted to be a gynecologist, believe it <laughs> or not. Yeah. And then I, I started to think, hmm, I think I might want to do something else. Um, when I was younger, my mom injured her low back and she had to get physical therapy. I mean, before she ruptured her the disc in her low back, she could not walk. She couldn't bend over. She had to take off from work. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible injury. And I remember the 
the help that she got from a physical therapist. So that gave me my interest. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I would like working with people, helping them to live healthier lives through movement. And so that's how I even came to realize that I would like physical therapy. But I didn't know anything about women's health physical therapy until well, most people now. didn't. So so tell me, what was what was your journey to become once you were a physical therapist, then what happened that made you decide that you were gonna do vaginas as opposed to yeah. arms and, and legs? Okay, so my story is when I was in PT school, we had one small smidget midget of a class on women's health physical therapy. It was short and not really anything. Um, telling us the whole gist of women's health PT, but I was interested. I knew that this is something I could see myself doing. Fast forward, I did regular orthopedic physical therapy when I came out of school because I just needed to make some money. I couldn't get out there demanding, you know, a specialized uh, realm in physical therapy. And I was doing traveling PT. I absolutely love traveling physical therapy. Um, Two years into it, though, my recruiter told me about a position at Alta Bates Medical Center in Oakland, California. And that is where I got my, um, I guess my, my debut into women's health physical therapy. And all I treated was urinary incontinence, urinary frequency, urinary urgency for about a year. Yeah. And I was only supposed to be there, Lauren, for three months. Yeah. So I kept renewing my contract because I loved it so much. Um, and prior to that, it was, you know, shoulder, ankle, foot. I felt like I was all over the body. And I wanted to try and specialize. So then I decided to go ahead and um, come to Loyola. And that's where I did my women's health residency for a year in uh, here in Illinois. One of the things I've learned from our physical therapists that you're actually describing is most of the physical therapists started out doing other parts of the body. And that only helps because I can't tell you how many times women will come and get pelvic floor physical therapy for painful sex or whatever. And then they say, oh, my God, my back pain is gone. And they seem surprised. And I'm like, why are you so surprised? Because your pelvis and your back are connected. And that's why this is such an advanced degree that you need to do this, because you need to know just as much about the other parts of the body in order to treat the pelvis. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's just this melting pot at the pelvis where you have the low back meeting the pelvis, then you have the hip meeting the pelvis as well. Then you have the abdominal region and the thigh coming all all together in this one region. But yet when we have these issues, like maybe we leak when we, when we cough or we sneeze, or maybe sex doesn't feel the greatest, or maybe we're constipated. We tend to just zoom in only on the pelvic floor, not realizing that the pelvic floor interacts with the low back, with the hip, with the abdomen, I mean, even with the scapula and the, and the neck and the upper body. So I, I agree. I, it's a good feeling when someone says, oh, wow, my hip is feeling better or my back is feeling better. When we weren't necessarily targeting that region, but because of the connection, other things can get better as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so many times I see a patient and I recommend pelvic floor physical therapy and she says to me, you know what? I did that. It didn't help or it was painful. It was a waste of time. And then I have to convince her that, no, 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 this is going to be different. So I am guessing that you are very often in the same position, that women come to see you reluctantly because they've already been there, done that. And so Tell, what do you say to someone who says, hey, look, I'm only here because, you know, my doctor made me, but I have no expectations that this is actually going to help me. 
Well, I always take it as a challenge. Like, okay, well, you didn't get better with someone else. It doesn't mean that you won't get better with me. And the same goes for other um, situations. If I go to a dermatologist and I don't have a good experience, I don't stop going to see uh, a dermatologist for my skin condition. I just try and find a better practitioner. So the same thing goes when I get patients that come in and they're even just reluctant to physical therapy, period, because their condition is so severe then, you know, I let them know that let's just be open minded. We're going to try this out and at least give it a chance, because sometimes you can block your improvement by not believing that it's going to work, because if you don't believe it's going to work, you're probably not going to do what you need to do at home. And you're probably not going to listen to your therapist yeah. if you think it's all a sham. Um, and so I think a big part of it is just being open minded. You have nothing to lose. That's exactly right. All right. So let's say someone is listening to this and they're like, okay, but how do I know? How am I going to know if the person I'm signing up with is as talented as you is as experienced as you? So what I kind of like to do is, is walk through what someone should experience, including making that first appointment. You know, how do you know that you're the hands of the expert? What kind of things should happen at when you make the appointment, when you show up for your first appointment? Okay, so when you show up for your first appointment, I think one of the brightest signs of a good practitioner is their ability to listen. I mean, because if someone just starts assuming what you need before actually listening to your history, I mean, things that have happened when you were a child can impact how you're living today. I mean, I have a patient who um, is, is here to see me for bladder dysfunction, but when she was little, she had a lot of issues with anxiety around using the restroom because her mom made her feel like she had to rush and use the bathroom in a quick manner. Yeah. So even today, as an adult, she has anxiety around peeing. So then me as a physical therapist, if I didn't learn that information, I wouldn't have learned that I also need to maybe work with her on diaphragmatic breathing or work with her on neuromuscular training and not just the pelvic floor because her nervous system is involved. Right. So I think the, the number one step is you have to be willing to listen to your patient. And number two, you shouldn't be doing something that is quote unquote good for everyone. I mean, we, we're probably really confused on the whole Kegel thing right now. So let me back up a little bit because you kind of skimmed over the history and that history is so critical. So critical because I know our physical therapists, they ask about everything. You know, were you constipated as a kid? Did you have any injuries? Have you had any bad stuff? So I think that's the first big red flag is if someone doesn't take a really complete history. And I don't think you can minimize that. And that should take a good part of the session. I mean, at Northwestern, we get a full hour, which is great. I mean, some places don't get a full hour. But a good part of that first visit, I feel, should be asking questions, getting more and more information. Have you had surgeries? What type of surgery was it? Um, Did you play sports? Did you do ballet? I mean, there's different things where you learn different. Like, for example, ballet in certain sports, you learn to suck your tummy in. And holding your belly in clenches the pelvic floor. So if you've been clenching your belly and your pelvic floor for years, we have to now teach you how to unlearn that and not just release trigger points all day in your pelvic floor. <laughs> because well, I, I, I can I jump in here because I'm, I'm feeling very, very lucky because 
I have, um, I'm a wannabe ballerina. I studied ballet from the time I was three until just a short time ago, very seriously. And yes, I was always told, clench those muscles, clench that buttocks. And I guess I'm really lucky that I don't have pelvic floor problems because yeah. it is a setup. But you're you're so right. Those background things that you may not think of are, are so important. The other thing is, is that we prepare patients for, for what's going to happen. But, you know, a lot of women, I think, when they show up, up in your office, they have no idea that you're going to be doing internal vaginal work. It's like a surprise. So tell me how you, you know, kind of address that with, with patients that walk in the door and just absolutely are blindsided when, when you say, okay, you know, take off your underwear and we're going to do vaginal work. Right. It, it is a surprise. And I agree. I, I'd say about half the people that come in there have no idea. I think they think we're just going to do bridges and clamshells and squats, but they have no idea that, hey, the pelvic floor is on the inside. <laughs> so yes. we've got to get on the inside. Yeah. So one of the things I do is I have a visual pelvic model and I educate them on the location of the pelvic floor. And that is that it's on the inside of your pelvis and it supports your, you know, your bladder, supports your uterus, your vagina, your rectum. And I think when I show them that and I say, hey, to really feel or to find if there's any pain, tenderness, weakness, we, have, we don't necessarily have to go inside, but we can get more information if we do go inside. Yeah. And I also like to compare the pelvic floor to other parts of the body. You know, if you came to see me for shoulder pain and I'm a physical therapist, it's highly unlikely that I would never touch your shoulder. So if you're having pelvic floor dysfunction and I'm your pelvic physical therapist, I need to touch your pelvic floor in some way, even if it's external um, manipulation yeah. or even if it's external examination, an internal exam can give us the most information on how the muscle feels. How is it moving? Is there pain? And so usually that um, helps the patient to know why it's needed and why it's necessary and how it's going to help them to get to where they want to be, which is, you know, pain-free function, not peeing their pants, just feeling good and having a better quality of right. life. Yeah, this is this is hands-on work. So walk everybody through with a little bit of a description of what is involved in internal work? What do you actually do? Because everybody knows what a gynecologist does. You know, it's a 10 second exam. They put their fingers in there. They feel your uterus and they're out the door. Um, and what you are doing is very, very different. So walk everybody through what, it, what it's like. Yeah. So it may look a little different. I know for me, what I do is when I'm doing the actual internal pelvic floor exam, First, what I'm doing is just interning my finger to see what does their muscle tone feel like just at rest when they're not squeezing, when yeah. they're not engaging. Because a lot of times you can tell a lot just from what their muscles are doing when they're not trying to do something. So that there is the first part. Having someone's finger in your vagina, <laughs> uh, that can be a little nerve wracking and sometimes yeah. people are guarded. And so definitely trying to help them to relax is a huge part of it. But that's the first part. And also a lot of um, visual observation happens too. And I know because you work at the vulvar clinic, you know that the, just looking at someone's vulva can tell you a lot. And okay. so many times I look at someone's vulva and I can tell that it's going to be too tense just by how they look on the outside because the vaginal opening is like sucked in or it's like lifted higher. So that gives me an idea that their muscles are too active and they're holding tension. 
Um, I am going to fill around in there. So you might feel like, oh, I feel like I need to poop <laughs> because your rectum is right behind the vagina. Um, we'll definitely have you squeeze. So we want to know how much strength do you have and also how much mobility. So when you relax and let go of that contraction, how well does your muscle actually drop down in a way from the rib cage, because that tells us so much. So much. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about pelvic floor muscles is everyone has all these, you know, this notion that you need a strong pelvic floor, strong, 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 strong. And I'm like, no, actually what you need is a pelvic floor that is just as good at relaxing as it is at being strong. Because that's where the trouble is. And, you know, thank you, Dr. Kegel, but he didn't do everybody a lot of favors in many ways. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's that's what I'm noticing um, in pelvic physical therapy is that someone can have weakness and not pee their pants. But it seems like when someone has too much tension, it creates havoc. I mean, I've seen several patients that don't pee their pants. They don't have issues and they do technically have a weak pelvic floor. But when you have a pelvic floor that is not moving anymore because it's so tense and it's so restricted, that's bound, generally bound to affect your sex life, your bowel health, and your bladder control. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a really big part of it is getting them to know what does it even feel like to let go of my vagina? <laughs> because yeah. we're so tense. We're so overworked. We're so guarded. We're sitting for so long. The muscles are generally too tight. And this goes for young and older people. Yes, well, that's the other thing, too, is so many people that think that this is just something that, you know, for for older people, it's like, oh, my God, it's you know, we are seeing women who are in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s who have these problems and who would benefit from from pelvic floor physical therapy. You know, the other thing that comes up a lot is um, people are very reluctant sometimes to go to pelvic floor PT because they think it's going to be painful, either because they've had pain from a prior experience or someone told them it was painful. So, So talk about that. Pelvic PT isn't painful, is it? There may be some discomfort, but it shouldn't be to the point where you're like gritting your teeth, you know, you're guarding because it hurts so much. You're going to be communicating with your therapist. If you're feeling pain, you need to say something. But also your pelvic physical therapist should be looking at how you're tolerating it. So if you're if you're clenching, if you're wincing, if your forehead is wrinkled, your pelvic therapist needs to be aware of that. They need to be picking up on how you are tolerating and responding to what they're doing, because if it's too painful, you're not going to be able to relax. So what I usually tell my patients is that this is not going to be a pleasurable experience, you know, going through physical therapy, but it shouldn't be um, intolerable. either. It shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be something that someone is dreading or, you know, that they have to recover from or anything like that. Like, oh, man, I'm going to pelvic PT again. If you have that feeling, it's likely just due to the nature of someone putting their finger in your vagina, but not necessarily because it's so painful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's what I would say there. It should not be painful, but it, it's not going to be pleasurable either. Well, I think I would use the word uncomfortable as opposed to pain. You know, that's what women right. tell me is that sometimes it's kind of uncomfortable, but it's not painful. 
The other question I get all the time, and in fact, probably the first question I get when I tell someone I want them to have PT is, how long is this all going to take? Am I going to be in PT for a week, a month, a year, forever? And and obviously, you know, everyone's issues are different. There's a very big difference between someone who has a lot of problems versus someone that it's really, you know, not, not as severe. But give it kind of a general time frame for your typical woman who goes to see you, who's maybe having bladder control issues or having some um, pain with intercourse? So there's there's definitely a range. I mean, I have my patients who are better in like four visits. Then I also have my patients who stay for six months. But I definitely think that within three to six months, you should have a very good idea. Are, are you getting better or are you not? Yeah. I'm part of women who are going to physical therapy for years. And if that's happening, then I think you should see someone else or consider another form of care. Um, But generally speaking, for my average patient, I would say two to three months, maybe four. When we talk about red flags, that's a very big red flag. If you are continuing to, to go every week and the therapist is doing the same thing and you're not making any progress at all. Um, Yeah. And, and I want to say this, it doesn't necessarily mean that the therapist is bad. I've had patients that I literally have to tell them, I think you should go back to your doctor now. You've seen me for three months and you have not gotten better. You know, so this physical therapy works, but it doesn't necessarily work for every person on planet Earth. So if you. Uh, OK, but in defense of your physical therapy, it's that it's, these are multifactorial problems. So a lot of times my therapist might come to me and say, you know what, she's doing really well as far as her muscles are going and relaxing them. But she still has a, you know, a vulva or a vagina that's a little bit too dry. And whatever you gave her to help with her vaginal dryness isn't working. It's not doing it. And so then we collaborate and figure out, is it the tissue? Is it the muscle? Is it both? And I think that's such an important part of this is to be able to collaborate with all of these different aspects instead of just saying, okay, it's all on you as the PT or it's all on you as the gynecologist. We really do work very collaboratively. Talk about homework. You know, our PTs <laughs> give our give our patients homework and talk about how important that is. Do you give your patients homework? I do give my patients homework, but I try to make I try not to make it overwhelming. Sometimes, depending on how my patient is doing, if my patient is high stress, high anxiety, her husband just died, I am not going to give her eight exercises to do. I might send her home and do diaphragmatic breathing and that's it. Because one of the things that I think we tend to forget is that we want our patients to actually do the exercises. Yeah. <laughs> so if you give them eight state-of-the-art exercises, but they don't do them, then they're pointless. And so I'd rather my patient master what I give them and not feel overwhelmed. Because if they get stressed out, they're going to be putting their body in a state that likely tenses their pelvic floor. Then, then, then it's pointless. So I do try to make sure that the exercises are reasonable generally maybe five to six exercises if they're motivated, if the patient is self-motivated. But yes, there's, there should be something you're doing at home. We are great at what we do, but we're there for only one hour. That's right. You're not, you're not moving into the guest room, which would be. We got you for one hour out of the whole week. So we need you to work with us. It's like a partnership. So you do have to go home and start implementing some of the things that we're even talking about, sometimes it's postural changes that I just want you to sit different. You know, yeah. sometimes it looks like that. 
Um, you know, it's funny because I want, I want to circle back to that because at the beginning we were talking about things that are important to happen at that first appointment in terms of taking a really thorough history and getting the whole picture. But one of the things I know that RPTs do that I'm sure you do as well is just start off by looking at someone's posture because you learn so much from looking at someone's posture. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, I am addicted to talking about posture. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know how I've been talking about this a lot, especially in relationship to someone's sex drive. Um, we are finding a lot of, and I'm sure you know, a lot of women that say, I don't have a sex drive. I don't know what's going on. And they want a hormone or they want a pill or whatever. But I look at their posture and their, their back is so rounded. Their pelvis is tucked all the way under. And what that's doing is it's shutting off the blood flow to your pelvic floor. And your pelvic floor is also responsible for moving your lymph fluid and your blood in and out of the pelvis. So now your vagina and your clitoris are, are not getting the, the blood that they need. And it's all about blood flow. Everything yes. is about blood flow. It really is. Yeah. Yes. I also want to point out, because everyone can't see us, but right. I am sitting up very straight. <laughs> All those years of ballet and you're setting up very straight, but it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I like to tell my patients to untuck their pelvis. You should not be sitting on your tailbone. If you were looking at someone and they had an actual tail, you would not want to sit on your tail. So think about that. Your tailbone is like your tail. Sit on your actual sit bones. You should be able to feel those bones right under your butt. And that alone is going to help your pelvic floor to be in an ideal position. It's going to bring more blood flow to your clitoris and your vagina, which is what arousal is, you guys. It's just blood flow. It's all blood flow. It's all it's blood flow. And so I, that is so huge and so helpful for people. Yes, your PT should definitely be screening your posture. Even if they don't do some long postural screen, they should be looking at your posture, making comments on that, and hopefully giving you helpful tips on how to start supporting your posture on a daily basis. Well, you know, but very seriously though, when we talk about all of the different things that you treat and we kind of ran through the obvious things, you know, people who have urinary incontinence or, or fecal incontinence, which is one of those taboo topics, but it goes along with that. A lot of women lose stool involuntarily. And then there are the women, of course, who have pain with sex. But the other thing our PTs do is they help women who aren't able to orgasm because when we look at what is happening in women who aren't able to orgasm. And there's a lot of things that can cause that problem. But one of them is poor blood supply to the clitoris. And one of the things that a good pelvic floor physical therapist can do is enhance the amount of blood flow to the clitoris, which in turn makes those nerve endings much healthier and much more responsive. So so tell me about that. Do you see a lot of women who come to you specifically because they're having difficulty with orgasm? You know what? No. But I'm hoping that we're changing the game. Um, I'm talking about this more on my platform because I'm seeing it more often when I ask. As public physical therapists, this is not okay. But unfortunately, we were not trained to talk too much about pleasure. It's just, right. okay, just sex hurt and does it not. Now what I'm doing is, do you have a sex drive? Are you able to orgasm? How is the strength of that orgasm? Is it really weak or does it feel great? All of these things really matter. Do you have pain after sex? 
all, all of this is, well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I want to I want to mention that a lot of times when someone talks about pain with intercourse and we're trying to figure out before the exam even, is this a pelvic floor issue? And that is actually one of the biggest ways that I know, because when they tell me, yes, I have pain with sex, with intercourse, and I'll say, OK, but when you take the penis out or you take the toy out, is everything fine? And they go, yeah, everything's fine, as opposed to does it still hurt afterwards? And they say, oh, yeah. All day, all day. I knew that. And, and that's what, you know, that tells me we have a pelvic floor muscle problem. That's because those pelvic floor muscles were traumatized, are still tight. And I just know, even before I examine that person, that that's someone who's going to need some some pelvic floor PT. But that, again, it's the history. It's my history. It's your history. You know, the, the history is so important in addition to the exam, you know, the other thing, and you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but but one of my things when I'm out there, because I'm teaching all the time and I'm teaching gynecologists and I'm like, oh my God, could you please examine the pelvic floor? You know, they're so quick to just check out the uterus and the ovaries and then they're done. And it's like, okay, please, please look at the vulva, Ch- touch those muscles. You don't even need to know the name of the muscles. Just touch them and see if they hurt. And nobody's you guys, I wish you could see me. I am cheering this doctor on. I, I want this so much because unfortunately we do, we have the most, uh, we have the closest relationship with our OB guides. Okay. Yeah. I would love for people to see their pelvic floor physical therapists more, but right now we're seeing our OB guides on a, on a yearly basis, sometimes more if you're having issues down there. And so I just don't like that. Everyone goes straight for the cervix straight from the vagina, but we don't pay attention to the vulva. I mean, how's the vulva looking? How's the clitoris looking? Is there tenderness uh, on the vulva? The pelvic floor, touch it. I mean, come on. When you look at, you know, we document these things in the medical record, of course, and and we had a scribe who was helping out our vulvar doctors. And when she saw our physical exam and she said, you have 20 different lines for the vulva, you know, different aspects of the vulva. And I said, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. Because when we examine a vulva, we start at the top and we go down and there are a lot of parts to that vulva and we examine all of them, starting with the clitoral hood and then the clitoris. I mean, how many gynecologists never even look at the clitoris as a matter of this is part of the, 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 you know, healthy exam and the complete exam. And, and, and that's, that's a, that's a big problem. That's a very big problem because we don't get that kind of training. So, all right. So this is where I want to go now. Um, everyone who's listening to this does not live in Chicago, so they don't have access to you. They don't have access to my group. How does someone find a physical therapist that they can be sure has had the proper training and knows what they're doing? Okay. So there's so many ways. Um, right now, if you go to my website, www.vaginarehabdoctor.com, I actually have a directory for pelvic physical therapists in the nation, also some therapists in Canada, some therapists in uh, the Caribbean region. This is a directory for women of color because I've decided to try and support and provide a little bit more representation. Another platform would be pelvicrehab.com. Which is the one I use, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's another great one. But also, if you just Google pelvic physical therapy near me, you can also find a clinic that's near you, and you can call them directly. 
You can call a physical therapy clinic directly and ask them if they take your insurance plan. Okay, okay, but you're missing something here. The problem with that is then you get into one of these clinics that someone, you know, is dabbling, if you will, and they're doing elbows on Monday and knees on Tuesdays and vaginas on Wednesday. And you don't want that person messing around in your vagina. You do not. So you have to be careful with the Googling. But you're going to Google a pelvic physical therapy clinic, not just a physical therapy clinic. So hopefully you're you're Googling a specialist. This is someone who has been trained in the pelvic... Uh, pelvic floor, maybe even someone who's board certified as a woman certified specialist. So if you see WCS, this person has gone through extensive training. They're board certified specifically in the pelvic floor. They don't have to be. You don't have to be WCS trained, uh, but that is the highest level of training um, in terms of uh, being a pelvic floor physical therapist when it comes to being board certified. So that's one. Uh, that's another way to do it. But listen to reviews. Look for reviews. You want to hear positive things from people who have gone to a physical therapist. If you're talking with someone and they say, hey, I love this PT. I used to pee my pants. Now I don't. Or I used to have pain with sex. Now I want sex all the time. <laughs> then this is, this is a good sign. And I think word of mouth is, is one of the great ways. But if not, there are those platforms online. And I even think the uh, Women's Health Physical Therapy Association online also has direct. Yeah, yeah, I'll put all of this in, in the program notes. Okay, but let's be realistic here. There are women who don't have insurance. They don't have access. They live in a small town. You know, the only decent physical therapist is 100 miles away, which is why I love on your website, you have a DIY PT. Um, you're, what, it's called the Vagina CEO Release E-Guide, Right. Talk about that. I think that's so cool. Okay, so Lauren, you know that, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for you. What I'm seeing more is way more tension than weakness in the clinic. This goes for my older people, menopause, 70s, 80s, also young, 20s, 30s, all the way in between. They're way too tense. Our vaginas are angry, okay? As a nation of women and vagina CEOs, (laughs) our vaginas are not happy. And so I made this e-guide just follow this e-guide and this is how you can release tension, feel more pleasure with sex, you know, have more bladder control because a lot of these uh, bladder dysfunctional patterns are due to our muscles not relaxing. Um, and so with that e-guide, you can view this from home. You can be on the bus. You can be at work looking through this e-guide, reading the information, learning how to relax your pelvic floor, how to contract it and how to do exercises that help you release pain, release tension. Um, and release stress in your pelvic floor. So that's my e-guide there. But I'm also going to be starting virtual consultations in uh, November. I did hear that you, you, you said this. A lot of times people can't get to a PT. Yeah. Um, there's no one close enough. I mean, I have people that reach out to me all the time. They're in Europe. They're like, the PTs here are horrible. I mean, and I'm not saying that's for the whole continent. But I've had people to, to tell me, I don't know who to go to. And so there are online options. Of course, you won't get the hands-on portion, but there is also a lot that we can teach you without the hands-on. Yeah. So, you know, let me just back up on that a little bit because earlier we were talking about the internal work and we kind of skimmed over the, the external work. And you mentioned diaphragmatic breathing, but there's a lot of work that can be done without you know, the fingers in the vagina, if you will, that you can use telehealth and, and then the external stuff. Yeah. Yes. Your movement patterns, we can address that. If you have your butt tucked under when you walk, 
We can address that. If you suck your belly in when you walk, we can address that. I had a patient who came in for vulvodynia. And let me tell you, I was working on her pelvic floor for weeks and she was getting minimally better. She didn't soar until I started addressing her posture where one shoulder was elevated and the other shoulder, shoulder was lower. She had neck and scapular problems. Yeah. A lot of what we're doing, she can do at home because we're working on exercises, strengthening, stretching. All of that can be done virtually. And also there are pelvic floor tools like pelvic wands and dilators. And I teach my patients how to use that on their own at home. Okay, so dilators. Dilators is something that I talk about a lot. Um, in fact, I talk about it in an episode when I was talking about, you know, people who are using their vaginal estrogen and they're still having pain and they can't get to a PT and, and the whole idea of home dilators. And um, and it's really important to get people started with dilator therapy. It's something that anyone can do and that I think is is really underutilized. It's, it's very important. When we talk about homework earlier, that's one of the things I think that um, that you can do at home. And sometimes even if you can't go to a PT, you can at least do some dilator therapy on your own. Absolutely. I would say after exercises, after breathing, after stress management, it's pelvic wands and dilators. Yeah. Because this helps patients to feel empowered. They can treat their, their, their own bodies with these tools at home. That's right. And everyone has this idea when I talk about dilators to patients, they think that a dilator is to like stretch the vagina. And I tell them, no, the dilator is to, you know, to help with the muscle memory, to get the muscles to relax around it so that your pelvis doesn't panic when it sees a penis, if they can relax around the dilator. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, the language that we use, and that's the other thing, when you go to see a pelvic physical therapist, I think that should also be helping you with your language. Let's mm -hmm. say you come in with interstitial cystitis or maybe with um, pelvic pain. If you're constantly rehearsing your pain, um, that's not necessarily going to get you closer. What I like to tell my patients is, is start talking about your actions. Today, I'm going to be doing my diaphragmatic breathing. I'm moving forward in my journey for my pelvic floor health. And so one of the things with, with the vagina is if I say, all right, we're going to loosen your vagina. Because for years, we've been told that the vagina has to be tight. Right. For a lot of people, that language is off-putting. So I tell them, we're going to help relax your vagina. Right. Well, you know, it's so funny in the whole tight vagina thing. I mean, it's we live in a culture where it's focused on male pleasure. And there's this idea that male pleasure is if a woman has a tight or a small vagina, which we know that that's ridiculous. And we know that female pleasure is all about the clitoris and has nothing to do with whether the vagina is, you know, tight or loose. And I even hesitate to use those kinds of words. And, but you're exactly right that there's this value, um, even if it's really subtle that people put on the idea of a tight vagina. And there are some societies, they're called maduristics. You probably, I don't know if you've heard of maduristics that I think, I'm trying to remember where it is, someplace in the, in Southeast Asia, where they put these sticks in a woman's vagina to make the tissue swell and become tight so that the man will supposedly feel more pleasure. And one of the articles I once wrote of, you know, the, the top 10 things not to put in your vagina, maduristics, I think was number six or something. Do not put a maduristic because people buy them online. It's terrible. Oh, I know. And even on social media now, people are still buying things to put in their vagina to so-called tighten it. And, and I just want to put this out there. If you're trying to achieve pleasure, all you need is a certain healthy level of tension 
anything beyond that is going to take you further away from an orgasm are those unremarkable, forgettable orgasms that you that you just barely even feel because you need your muscles to to shorten and right. relax. That's going to create the strength of your orgasm, not right. how tight it is. Can it contract and can it release well? So and, and honestly, even for your partner, if your muscles are so stiff, they can barely contract. Then, yes, the vagina will be tighter on insertion, but you won't be able to provide any level of movement at all. Okay. I think a healthy pelvic floor is best for it, not just you, but even your partner as well. Well, it's as I refer to it as a flicker instead of fireworks. You're not looking for yeah. the flicker. You're looking for the fireworks. Yes. Okay. So much work to be done. And that's why I love what, what you are doing. Um, and, you know, I am relatively new to Instagram, so I do not have anywhere near your followers, but you were one of the early people that I discovered because I love your work. I love what you do, because in addition to providing an incredible education and really helping women, it's just really fun to watch you. You just you. You, it's, it's all out there, you know. It's it's. Oh my it's, gosh, you're making me blush, Doc. Don't do it. You're no. Me blush. So anything else? Anything else? I will I will put in the program notes where to find you, how to follow you, where to get all your stuff. Is there anything else that you would like women? So, to know? I want women to know that the more you learn your vagina, the more you will love your vagina. So think about education. I mean, how much do we learn about math, about science, about things that really don't impact our quality and our enjoyment of life? So one of the things that I do is I teach master classes and I'm having one in October, October 2nd. It's called things your mama couldn't say about your vagina <laughs> because there's so much stuff that mama didn't tell us or she didn't feel comfortable telling us, but I'm going to talk to you about it. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about is how to strengthen your sex drive. The pelvic floor is also responsible for supporting a healthy sex drive. If it's painful, if your pelvic floor muscles are weak, we talked about the lack of blood flow, then you're likely not going to be as interested. Oh, we're going to be that. talking also about how to do a self pelvic floor screen. We learn how to screen our, our boobs, right? And that's not the same as a mammogram. I'm also going to be teaching what can you check for on your own that might clue you in as to maybe you need to go see a professional. Um, and then we're going to do some pelvic floor training exercises at the end of this masterclass. So if you come, if you go to my website, um, you'll see that there, you can register if you like, it's going to be on October 2nd. Very exciting. And I bet that will not be the last masterclass you give. Oh, so turn into nice. a regular thing. Yeah, absolutely. I try to do a masterclass every two to three months. I do a stretch lab or a strength lab every month. And that's like a fitness class where it's, it's more mm -hmm. movement. It's more active. Uh, the master classes are more uh, about learning. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. This has been so much fun. I'm so glad I discovered you on Instagram and you're right in my backyard, which makes it even better. So thank you for spending this time. Thank you for everything that you do, because you make a big difference. You make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm so excited to hear this episode. <laughs> I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of.
Through the night 